Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. Are you curious about drug addiction? Like what happens in someone's life to compel them to get into hard drugs and keep them there for ages, for years? And the downward spiral that drug addiction has on your life, that inescapable hold, the clutch it holds on you that prevents you from owning your life, planning, seeing a future, being enthusiastic. Are you curious about the destruction that is left in the wake of drug addiction, not only to you and your health, but the people around you? Or are you in that position right now? Well, this conversation is a unique insight into the dark and seemingly inescapable world of hard drug addiction. But it's also an episode of hope, inspiration, and deep life questions. Today, we've got Nick Elvery on the podcast, and he is a performance coach to CEOs and entrepreneurs, but he's also a former drug addict. He's been sober for seven years, but he had 12 years of painful drug addiction that owned his life and destroyed everything. His hard drugs and alcohol addiction destroyed his health, ruined relationships, and brought him to his knees, both physically and mentally. Yet somehow he escaped. Somehow, he had a turning point that changed his life for good. He explains this and so much more. And it's through owning his life again for the first time in 12 years that it lit the fuse of curiosity and hope. What would it take for him to operate at his full potential? It was those questions that led him to creating the business he runs today, Optimized. So, if you're grappling with drug addiction of any sort and are trying to escape it, or you are genuinely motivated to empathize and help people who are in that position, you'll find this conversation insightful and inspiring. If you're trying to understand the formula to happiness, fulfillment, and life balance, which to be honest, I think all of us are trying to strive for, then this transformation story digs into the complexity of these questions that have haunted human civilization for the entirety of our existence. I do genuinely hope you get a lot out of this. It's education, it's insight, it's knowledge, it's guidance. It's a conversation with a guy that is <laughs> almost like a rekindled spirit for me. He thinks, operates, motivates, and is passionate about the very same things that I am. So we hit it off. It was a great conversation, lots of back and forth. And drug addiction or not, there's gold in this conversation. So, enjoy the conversation with Nick Elvery. If you've got any questions, as always, get through to us on the Adapt Nation Facebook page. And if you are struggling with drug addiction of any sort and you want to have dialogue, then make sure you do get through to us. I'll make sure you get connected with Nick personally. I'm sure he'd be willing to help and guide you through the process or at least share how he got through it himself. Enjoy it, guys. I think we're guided by a very similar purpose, Nick, and I love speaking to people 
that share my passion for wanting to make a real difference. But also, I, I think you've got a really unique blend of experiences, life experiences, as well as skills that should make for a super helpful and insightful discussion for our listeners. So if you're game, Nick, why don't we try and cover this in our chat? Why don't we talk about, you know, taking ownership of your life, create massive change when needed, and how to be content while still being driven for more growth? Because I think your story kind of weaves beautifully into those areas of discussion. Is that cool for you? Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. So maybe we let's just get started with people understanding who Nick Elvery is. Um, not so much the backstory just yet, but yeah, tell us what your life looks like now and you know what your vocation is, what your specialism is. Okay, cool. So I basically coach, I'm a peak performance coach and I coach CEOs. And ultimately, our approach is slightly different and we'll obviously get into the nuances within this. But I believe that our mind is the biggest limitation. And without having dealt with the insecurities, the fears, the doubts that the mind brings up, and we'll talk more about this later, I'm sure, where they come from. Without doing that, then we are only going to be able to operate at that level, whatever the ceiling is for our mind. So get the mind right. Look at the physical body and obviously exercise, sleep, all the optimization things that we can we can do to get those right. And then really have a clear vision for what you want to achieve. Like those are the three components. So my life now basically looks like helping people get free from their mental constraints so they can take on their lifestyle habit changes, really implement them effortlessly. And then once they've done that, really get clear on what the vision is. Well, get clear on what the vision is once they've got the mindset side of stuff sorted out. And then they can go out and actually create whatever it is they want to create. Okay. And as a performance coach, Nick, is is that mostly engaging with corporates or is it individuals? So marketing-wise, we are pushing towards the corporate side of things. But um, I work with all sorts of people from all, all walks of life because ultimately we're all human beings, right? And when you break it down, we all have the same problems, just a different flavor for each person. And uh, so mostly it's uh, CEOs of sort of small to medium companies. Um, but I do have, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and uh, people who work in the, the corporate environment as well. Okay. And in terms of people wanting to do business with you, what what were their motivations? I, I guess for someone to seek out a performance coach, they acknowledge that both they could perform better mm. and uh, and are acknowledging that there's perhaps some broken parts of their life that they could benefit from seeking external help. You know, how, what what are people's kind of natural journey to finding you? Like, what are their triggers? So it, it varies. Um, confidence can oftentimes be a big piece to this. Um, the stress of holding the whole weight of the world of the business on their shoulders from a CEO perspective. Uh, addictions as well can be a big part. We'll obviously dive into my story a little bit later um, and explain more about that. But um, you know, addictions, addictions can come in all all types of, uh, of forms. Um, and it's, it, it's a number of different things, but as I've found out over the years, those all really weave into two or three different problems underlying, because what we think is the surface problem of 
um, being stressed or not feeling confident usually breaks down to self-worth or love or those sorts of concepts, which oftentimes we don't talk about as men, especially. And uh, that's actually the sort of the reasoning behind you know, the, the lower layers, if you like, the lower levels of what's really going on. But to answer your question, ultimately, it's things like confidence, stress, um, not being able to deal with all the work and be able to manage the health side of stuff, because it's very, very easy in business and life in general to get so focused and dedicated to one aspect that other aspects get left by the wayside. So it's a number of different things. And I also do get people that are you know, performing pretty well already, but want to take their levels to the next level, whatever that is for them. And that, and again, it could just be, it could be the mental side of staff, mindset, past experiences, or it could be the the more sort of physical, the optimization side of things, testing. So we do blood testing, we do um, we do uh, advanced bet, um, biometrics and um, metabolic testing and all sorts of stuff to get a really interesting snapshot on what's going on with the biology of the person as well. So we've got a, a quite a unique blend. I love it. I love it. Fascinating. I'm sure I'm going to get hooked in your story by the end of it, Nick. So <laughs> before we get in into yeah the nuts and bolts of your service, and I think we'll, we'll we'll spend a little bit more time towards the back end of our chat, I really want to get to understand your journey. So we've spoken briefly offline. Uh, I understand that you know you have had drug addictions in the past, and that owned you and your life and your health and your relationships to some degree. Um, but I'm really intrigued because I, I personally have never been addicted to any substance, but I have an addictive personality, Nick. <laughs> I can find myself <laughs> obsessed and, and, and addicted to all manner of things in my life. And I can see how easy uh, that, that immediate gratification of a substance habitually taken can make you feel good in the moment but I don't really understand addiction in terms of it really owning me and what that feels like and what it breaks and what it ruins. So if you don't mind, I'd love to dig into that. You know, where do you want to start in giving us some insight into what, what your problems were and what you were, what you were trying to, what you were trying to chase? Yeah, no problem. So let's give a, a quick nutshell sort of uh, overview, if you like, um, version of it. Basically, started out like most people smoking cigarettes drinking alcohol looking cool in front of your peers that's how most people start in that world when they're about 13 14 years old that sort of thing uh, and it progressively got more more substances got involved in the picture and over the years it just got you know more and more involved and ultimately ended up you know um using like crystal meth at the end and like there's a lot of cocaine and all the other drugs i was very 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 fortunate to have a phobia of needles so never went down that route for whatever reason i was gifted with that mm. with that uh that phobia is the way i view it anyway and um so i never went down that route which you know can be a totally different path but it was my mission it was my daily focus to get up use get drugs use them and then go back you know and back to sleep and that was sort of day in day out and you know like you alluded to it not only destroys your health or destroyed my health uh it destroys relationships with family friends loved ones and arguably more important the relationship with yourself now my drug addiction was fueled initially by just wanting to be part of the, the gang, so to speak. 
but as time went on, it became clear. And I know now, having sort of looked back, it was very clear that it was an escape. Like doing the amount of drugs I did was purely to escape from reality of the world. And there were a number of things that were going on in my life. Like my dad had MS for my entire life and watching his uh, very slow, painful decline into the passed away a few years ago, that was heartbreaking. So that was definitely my coping mechanism was to run away rather than to face it. And drugs is a wonderful avenue if you want to you know, step into oblivion and forget about your worries. So there were, there were a number of different drivers and that's how I dealt with life and that's why it got so bad. And, you know, one of the things that um, was, was really interesting when we dive into the, the psychology side, the sort of mindset and the, uh, that side of things for people, we start to see different drivers. So for me, one of the drivers was I, have low, I had low self-worth. So therefore, I wanted to try and impress people and I would do whatever it took. And in, in my circles, being able to take loads of drugs and being that party guy, and we used to put legal raves on and all that sort of stuff, that was seen to be impressive. Mm. So to fulfill this void of feeling low self-worth, it fit the bill perfectly in so many ways. I could be the joker and oftentimes a lot of you know low self-worth people become loud and boisterous and that sort of stuff. And that's, a, again, a, a facade of covering up this, these problems. Um, and it's something that I see so much in the modern world. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's prevalent all over the place. So that, that's a really short sort of 12, 15 year history condensed into a, about three or four minutes. So I'm happy to go into as much detail or as little detail as you want me to. Thank you for sharing that, Nick. Um, and I, I will dig a little deeper if that's okay. Of course. Yeah. So you just spoke about self-worth, you know, for me, um, huge fan of Tony Robbins, um, his six human needs. I, I can, I, you know, I've, I've taken stuff in the past. I've, you know, big, big alcohol drinker periods of my life, party animal, had taken cocaine a few times, but nothing overly uh, um, repetitive. And I know what it feels like. It feels great. It feels great being on these substances. You are, uh, you're, you're confident, uh, you're sharp you're engaging, you're funny, you, you loosen up, um, and you feel significant, right? You feel significant and you gain connection. You're also, if it's, if it's the legit stuff, you're, you're going you're to have certainty in feeling that way when you take that thing. So it meets so many needs and hey, every, every day is different when you're, on, when you're on something, right? So I can see that this just ticks so many boxes, but the significance thing I think is, is a big play for a lot of people. I just know that they can, quote unquote, be a better version of themselves in the moment when they're on whatever it is they're taking. Is yeah, I mean, sorry, go on. Oh, no, no, go on, go on, key off if you've got something to no, say. No, I, I was just going to say, I, I, yeah, I mean, to me, significance is a really interesting piece and it comes in lots of different guises. And it's something that I've been speaking to a lot of people um, through social media actually in the last few days as well. is this idea of our motivations, you know, and you alluded to at the beginning, you know, talked about talking about the idea of, sort of happiness and, um, and motivation and fulfillment and success and stuff. And I don't know if that's a good time to talk about it, but I think it feels like a, a good segue into that. And we, we are all driven by different things. Significance plays a big part of it. Absolutely. And that can actually manifest itself in, you know, really great ways. 
uh, and can be fun and can be engaging, but it can also be really detrimental. And this need to prove myself, if I go back to the story, you know, of me is this need to prove myself from having low self-worth. Ultimately, all this does is means you're living the expectation of someone else's life. And what I mean by this is you're, you basically are living what you want. You're trying to impress other people, right? You're trying to be seen to be the, the, the big guy, the person who's got the, the most influence or the, you know, the most, he's, he's, he's the center of attention. You're trying to impress other people. But all you're doing is living the life of what you think other people will be impressed by rather than deeply living your life on your terms. And, it, you know, it, it can manifest itself in so many ways. And I see it in business quite a lot as well. People aiming for these big monetary goals and having these big lifestyle achievements. But actually, when you break it down, if those things are being sought after to impress other people, then are you actually living your life or are you living what other people or you think other people will be impressed by? And I think within that small little component under itself, forget about everything else in life. If that one thing is driving you to impress other people and live that your life that way, then I think that's where unfulfillment and unhappiness ultimately come. Because when you get to 30 grand a month income or whatever the goal is for that person, what's next? What's more? And oftentimes it is that it's more is better and that's going to fill the void next. And I think that's where really the sadness and the unhappiness and the, the unfulfillment come from. Whereas when you actually deal with, which we'll dive into more deeply, I'm sure in this conversation, but when you actually deal with these insecurities and these doubts and these fears in the minds, our own minds and get rid of them, which you can do really effectively with NLP and uh, cognitive hypnotherapy and a few other modalities, then it changes the game quite considerably because instead of coming from a place of trying to prove yourself to other people and live up to other people's expectations, you actually are driven from your own wants, desires, and fulfillment needs. And that's where I think, because Tony Robbins talks about the, bigger fa the biggest failure is being successful and unfulfilled. And I think that's lovely, you know? And success doesn't have to be, can be different for everyone. And this isn't also, people get this conversation incorrect as well. They, they go, then they say, well, oh, does that mean that, um, that money and all those sorts of things, uh, you know, are, are bad or evil? It's a common conversation, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. Well, no, it's not. You can have fast cars and, and, and money and all these things. That's not the issue here. Uh, it's actually just what they mean to you and how you're attached to them or not. That for me is the is a key component. I think when you get to the root of this, which takes some deep work and some some quite challenging conversations, but when you really get to the nub of that, then all these performance hacks and upgrades and biohacking and changing your lifestyle and committing to an exercise program and all the things that we know are important become effortless. There's something in there that I find beautiful. There's there's a conversation, a thread that I have with my wife quite often. We're quite different people. Actually, we're, we're pretty much polar opposites um, across every measure, and we know it. Um, I have got very low empathy generally. I think I, I care, I have compassion, but I have low empathy. So I don't always understand people's situations, and I can be quite hard. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Michelle's very empathetic. 
But the challenge with that empathy is that she can be known as a quote unquote obliger, someone who lives their life through the desire to either make people happy or live up to their expectations. But really, when you dig into that, no one really expects much of most people. Like, it's their life they're trying to lead. They couldn't really care whether you look a certain way, whether you do a certain thing, if you have this thing. They don't really care. But somehow we've twisted in our minds that how I come across, what I do and how I interact with people, other than giving them things, but just how I show up somehow impacts other people's lives and therefore I'm driven by that. The reality is that that's not that's not the gig. No one really gives a shit about most people. You know, they're, they're trying to work out their own problems, their own demons. You know, they're trying to work out how to be happy and how to be fulfilled and how to be successful. And you're just part, you're just part of the, the story. You're one of the acts. You're not that impactful. And if only we could understand, like, trying to be the significant guy, you know, taking the drugs, being the joker, hey, you may bring a little bit of entertainment value, but you're not materially changing anyone else's life. What what do you think? What do you think in response to that? This idea that if you're significant, if you're the joker, if you're the person who's, uh, you know, the center of attention, do you think that actually adds value? Like now you can look back and see it for what it was. Did you think it actually added a ton of value to the people around you? Because it seems to be through that lens that people do a lot of things, assuming that this is what others want when I'm not sure that other people really care that much about how you show up. I think people respect you way more when you're honest and you're, you know, you're for want of a better expression, you're your authentic self. And that in itself is another conversation which we can probably have, but what that actually means. But uh, you know what it's like when you meet someone that is playing the fool and is, you know, putting the masks on and has a facade. We could all see it, right? You know, it's, it's not, we're old enough now, and I think once you get to a certain age, you, you've seen most styles of people, if that makes sense, you know, and I, I think people can read that. And actually what really comes across is just being genuine and honest and, and having the courage to be vulnerable. I think that's a way, way more powerful way to be mm. than trying to pretend to be something else. And I think ultimately when you break it down, when you get rid of the facade and the ego and the male bravado or whoever it is that you're speaking to, we all are the same in regards to our insecurities and fears and doubts. Like that's just categorically true. Whether you're a CEO of a multinational business, you know, an 18 year old who's just started university or whatever it is, like wherever you're from, however old you are, it, the, the insecurities always break down to this fear of not being lovable and, you know, feeling like you haven't been loved. Right. That, that, that ultimately is at the essence of it. And, I think really when you get to the point of being free from this stuff and your limitations when it comes to this conversation is, and my belief is this, it's your past programming is created by experiences that you have when you're younger, right? And these experiences, we make them mean something in that moment and then we carry it around like baggage, like the cliche expression, we carry it around like baggage with us and it, it gives us the lens of life. It's how we view life. So as an example, if you have an event that happens and you made it mean that life is a struggle, right? And you carry around this idea of life is a struggle. Imagine what life would be like with that idea carrying on your shoulders into everything you go, whether it's a workout in the gym, 
whether it's building a business, whether it's having a relationship, whatever it is, life is going to turn up for you in that way because that's the way you view it. Now, when you get rid of that and reframe that, and I had a client recently who had this exact um, this exact problem. When you get rid of that and you reframe that and you go back and you can do some great techniques from NLP and your um, cognitive hypnotherapy that allow you to reframe this and change it, then life no longer has to be a struggle. So what would life look like if life wasn't a struggle? Well, the opposite for that could be flow or peaceful or joyful, something along those lines. So the reason we experience life as a struggle or we experience life as joyful is the internal workings of our mind. Those events happened, the meanings we've given it and how we've carried that around. It's not any more complicated than that. The courage comes from being vulnerable to share the reality of the situation and the experiences that you've had and really being able to get uncomfortable with what, you know, what's happened and, 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 and deal with it. That's where real freedom comes from, I think. And that's why people struggle with committing to certain things in their life. That's why people struggle with being able to see a diet through, as an example, or exercise programs. So obviously, a lot of people listening to this program, you know, can relate to the reason we have difficulty sticking to things is because of the internal programming. And our, our brain is very much like a computer in a lot of ways. If you know how to reprogram it, you can actually undo that programming. Now, the difficulty comes when that programming is serving you in, a, in an effective way. If you look at high achievers, for example, CEOs or sports professionals, something along those lines, like a lot of the time that programming that want to prove themselves or whatever the programming, there's lots of different types as you can probably appreciate. But sometimes that programming serves you so well in getting a goal and you become super successful and very rich or famous because that programming is saying, right, never again will I let someone, you know, beat me or whatever, which is a, um, a friend of mine who was a world champion boxer. That was his programming. And, um, you know, he went on to win, be a world champion boxer because of that. But does that allow you to be fulfilled when you have a look at it? What well, does that actually he got to his, you know, he got to being a world champion. It's like, well, now what? His whole identity was wrapped up in this idea of being a world champion boxer. And when he got to that point, you know, it's like, okay, well, what do I do now? And he had to sort of, you know, rejig that and think about that. But so for me, it's, it all starts in the mind. You know, our view of life is ultimately what we get. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. But we're never taught and we're not really given the tools unless we really go out there and experiment and, and try these things to really be able to deal with our thoughts and our mind. And we just sort of take it as granted. Well, that's who I am. That's how I, that's how I go about. That's what, you know, how I ever go about life. That's, that's just part of me and accept it for that. But it doesn't have to be. You can change it to whatever you need it to be. And I promise you, when you dig deep, take the courage and be vulnerable and use the right technologies and, and therapies to deal with it, a whole different level of life opens up to you and you actually start building life from what you want authentically rather than it being about impressing others or whatever the paradigm is for you. So let's make this real, Nick. Let's talk about your programming or your prior programming. So the programming yep. that got you into the lifestyle that we just described, you know, the 10 plus years of uh, drug addiction, what mm. were your demons or programs and where did they come from? So it, it's self-worth is under undeniably the um the key was the key component for me and um there are lots of there are a few little events that had happened that sort of made it worse like 
little tiny things. And what, what's interesting is when we're five years old or 10 years old, what was significant for us then obviously probably wouldn't be significant when we're 30 years old in the modern world, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was younger, for example, um, at school, I fell over in front of all my friends, tore up my trousers and my knees, and um, you know everyone was laughing at me, right? And in that moment, I was just like, oh my God, how do I deal with this? Okay. And I actually got nicknamed Odd Kid for many years after that. So I obviously tried to do everything I possibly could to fit in and be the chameleon. And that's what I did. From that small, seemingly insignificant event that when I explained to most people, they're like, oh, people fell over, people fall over all the time. Well, yeah, of course they do. But it's what happens in that moment and the the combined effect of people laughing at me and what I made it mean that came together to create this, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to fit in and not be the odd kid. So that's why I was always about like just trying to mimic, like imitate people and, you know, choose the right clothing and speak slightly differently to fit in. Like that was my whole way of being and whole experience of life for so long. And people see through that first off. But it, it, you can see how that generates a totally different type of life to one of, you know, of now where it's actually like, I, I'm not really that concerned about what other people think of me. <laughs> like, that's their, that's their stuff, not mine. And that gives you a whole different level of, um, of experience. So really, for me, it was the self-worth piece. And, you know, once, once I got free from that, then it just it just enables you to be like people say you know taking that that load off your shoulders and feeling lighter that is a great way of how it feels and experiencing how it feels if that makes sense it does man it does um i i feel that i've kind of gone through some of those journeys myself not necessarily deliberately or formally but yeah as you get older you see things differently you have a different perspective and you can choose to react differently to that same information but when you were in the in the midst of of you know being addicted to the various um, substances you spoke about, did you did you come to this conclusion, or was it only once getting clean and seeking help elsewhere and outside of your circle did did you start to see things in this way, understanding that self worth was driving some of your behaviours? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely post post the experience. And, um, you know, the, the whole drugs thing was, as I said to you, you know, earlier, it's about just stepping into oblivion and escaping the pain of real life. That was ultimately the sort of main driver eventually. You know, it started off as a fun thing to do that everyone else did. And then mm -hmm. through my experiences, it became a really effective avenue to, to escape. So that, that was sort of the ultimate driver. But to, to answer your question, I think when you're in addiction, it's, it's like a fog you're very unaware of the implications or the real implications of what's happening to your life, the people around you. And, you know, for whatever reason that I think a fog is a very good way of describing that. So your level of awareness is pretty low, or at least was for me when I was there and coming out the other side of it. And, you know, I like you, I've been interested in being a best version of myself for a long time, which is a really interesting sort of um, comparison to you know, wanting to be a best version of myself and then being a you know, full-on drug addict, they're not two things that really go together particularly well. Um, but yeah, I, ultimately, it's only when I look back after having done going to rehab for the second time and having done a lot of work on myself, that's when I really got the clarity around what were the drivers and, and you know, what, what was uh, sort of pushing me towards that, if that makes sense. Okay, okay. And 
at at the worst of it, Nick, what what was life like? You know, day to day. Was it did, was you holding down a job? Were you hold, was you holding down a relationship? What was your relationship like with your family? Help us understand that. Yeah, no problem. So uh, I had lots of jobs. Holding down jobs was pretty tough. Um, and relationships. The longest one I ever had was a year long. Uh, I don't really have no. There's no real surprise behind that. That was a bit a bit of a nightmare. Um, family relationships were very very stressful, and you know um, that was that was pretty hard. Um, the relationship with myself was pretty bad, and, and health obviously was was a um, a major problem. Um, doing that amount of substances sort of day in day out for for a long time obviously takes a huge toll on your body. So I think really. Um, I feel very grateful that I'm still here. I'm still alive. Uh, if I carried on down that route, I don't know obviously what would happen, but um, a much shorter life probably would have been on the cards. And um, yeah, I mean, there's only so much stress you can put your family and friends through through before they decide to, you know, bail. Understandably, but I've been very fortunate that my friends and my family have been incredibly committed to to helping me and keeping me, you know, and, and loving me and supporting me, which is just incredible. Not everyone has that, you know. Mm. Um, so really, it was just a total internal self-destruction, wanting to hide from the pain of life, uh, and that obviously manifested itself in, in physical unwellness and um, and and poor relationships and everything else that came with it. And you you speak about escapism, um, and I, I often think about whenever I've taken drugs or whenever I you know whenever I drink, it's a state change. Like I, I want I just mm. want to feel different. But yeah. I've never I've never taken anything with the desire to escape. In when when you're in when you're at this point and you're in this kind of habitual loop of that certainty that comes when you use whatever you use, is did did you sense the selfishness within that loop? Did you did you see that one it was self destruction for you and that you know others around you either being hurt or not getting the best of you, you weren't adding value. Did you see that when you're in, in, in the middle of it, you know, from that habitual kind of following the highs? Um, yeah, I think, or, or I was think it only I afterwards? No, I think, I think I was aware uh, of that. Probably not quite to the level that I am now, but I didn't care. Like, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're in that sort of grip of addiction, you just, you don't care. I, it's it's what you live for. It's what your sole purpose is. It's everything to you, and that's one of the scariest things of coming out the other side of, you know, coming into the world of sobriety. It's like, well, I've spent twelve years, day in day out, using, and that's my identity. Like, what else is there? Like, that's that's I think is one of the hardest components for anyone to get sober from from drugs or alcohol addiction or any addiction for that matter, because it becomes so per- pervasive, it becomes so integral to your life, it becomes your identity. And I mean, that's a fascinating conversation to under itself. And it's one of the reasons that I um, stopped doing AA and NA meetings because one of the things that they talk about is every time you're at a meeting, say, hi, I'm Nick, I'm an addict. And it, it, for me, that was reinforcing this identity over and over and over again. Now, I know there's some great work that happens in those rooms, and I'm not about saying that people shouldn't go to those rooms. I ultimately, I think it's about what you do, whatever works for you is right. But for me, identity is critical. You know, you think about a um, an actor, for example, when they play a part of a king in a film or something like that, you know, and, and they really act that. You can sort of, 
it's they they are it. They embody it. They embrace it. Everything about them, how they walk, how they talk, everything, the energy they have when they come in the room is totally different. But when they're actually just being themselves out on the street, they're obviously not playing that part, and there's something quite different. So, what's the difference between that person and the other person? Well, they're the same person. Uh, it's just the the identity that they've created for themselves, and in that particular instance, they're actually just acting the part. So, for me, it's it's you know your identity is everything, and that comes from your your programming and what you give importance to, and the meanings and all that sort of side of things as well. So. You know, yeah, it's it's a fascinating conversation, really. And what were the the lows, Nick? So, and and let me just get this out. I don't know if I'm going to make complete sense, but hopefully I do. You know, life's about you know getting the immediate gratification in the moment, however you find that, whether that's changing your expectations or your reality. And I think with drugs, you ch- you're trying to change your reality. But life's also about forward thinking and having a vision and you know kind of working towards some longer term goals that kind of meaningful stuff when you're in in the the midst of an addiction is it difficult to plan ahead is it difficult to think one month two months one year ahead and think about the future and invest in the future um and is it is it a dark place when you know you can't or you can't muster up enough mo- uh, momentum in your life to go create the change or get the thing or, or, or have the experience that you're after? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was depression and negative thought spirals were very commonplace. And the idea of ending my life was, you know, a fairly common or fairly frequent experience. And you know, it's a desperately dark place because, you know, imagine you wanting to give up. <laughs> you know, I, I forget how many times I wanted to give up in my life, but it was a lot. Wanting to give up and saying to yourself, right, that's it. No more. This is killing me. It's killing my relationships. It's destroying my life. And then 20 minutes later, getting on the phone to someone to get drugs. Mm. Like, and doing that over and over and over and over again over, you know, many, many years. Uh, you know, think how that messes with you. You think, you think when you, for example, take the gym, if you, what happens if you don't turn up for a workout two or three weeks, you know, in a row, you sort of start to lose faith and trust in yourself, right? That you can actually see that through. You imagine doing that over and over and over again throughout your life for sort of 10, 15 or 10, 12 years. You know, it takes a real, it makes, you know, it takes a real toll on your level of trust in yourself, let alone anything else. So, yeah, it's it's a very a very dark place, and obviously doing that amount of drugs it messes with your your chemicals in your brain and gives you weird thoughts and makes you do strange things and it, yeah, it's it's a horrible horrible place to be. Yeah, I, I can't can't even fathom. I mean, I've got I've got a few friends that are serial, um, you know, weed users, and you know, literally have been, you know, smoking weed all their lives, and you know, nice people. Some of them more productive than others, but there's 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 one kind of attribute that I see is fairly common, which is they can get really thoughtful, they can get really creative, they can get some really cool ideas as to what life is going to be or what they're going to get after, and then somehow the momentum of that idea drops and it drops every night. You know, I'm going to get after this. I'm going to you know do an e-learning course, or I'm I'm going to you know 
get to the gym or, you know, whatever it is, some, some kind of change they want to see in their life. But maintaining the momentum and energy that requires work and requires discipline and stoicism and hard stuff um, just seems to evaporate because of this kind of like calming, uh, you know, anxiety reducing feeling they get from, you know, the THC. It just seems to kind of wipe out that drive. I wouldn't say that's across the board, and I think I'm overgeneralizing, but in my experience, it seems fairly common. It's like that person's got so much more to give, but that kind of edge to be driven just seems to be just lowered to the point that there's inaction, continuous inaction. Is that is that is there is there parallels to that and you know other substances in terms of like inaction and that kind of inability to build momentum? Yeah, I mean absolutely. I think it, you know anything that numbs your senses can easily be used to do exactly that and hide from life, right? So whether it's weed or alcohol or porn or sex or whatever, like if it scratches that itch or numbs that pain then it's something you're not dealing with. And that's something could be yeah, you all need sorts the of pain, things. right? You need the pain. You need to respond to fear and vulnerability and pain, right? And if the pain keeps disappearing, the, the motivation to act is probably lessened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a good way of looking at it. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, it, it's addiction for me is asking this question, um, how is it serving you and are you truly happy? Because a lot of people will try and paint the picture that they are happy and smoking a bit of weed every day doesn't cause them any problems. And for some people that may be true. But when you actually dig deep and really start having meaningful conversations and they drop their guard and the ego gets removed for a few minutes and you actually start digging deeper into the conversation, usually a very different picture and story arises. Usually there's a picture of unhappiness, unfulfillment. And it, you know, I see it all over the place. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not specific to age, gender, race, you know, it, for all of us, there can be, and actually it's interesting, the people that seem super confident on the outside when they're on social media or you meet them in person, oftentimes can be, and this is just how I was, often can be the, the most lonely and the most, um, you know, mm. fearful and scared and unfulfilled. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see that too. I see that too. Um I want I want to I want to understand how you broke free of this, Nick. So, you know, you are in this kind of spiraling circle of frustration, uh but enjoying the process at least in 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 the highs. What what motivated you to change? What was the the turning point where you felt enough courage to get after this and do something about it? So interestingly, people obviously ask me this a lot and oftentimes they're expecting some sort of big moment or this happened or this happened and yeah, turn my life around. But actually all that happened, I say all, was quite a profound thing really, but all that happened was having a conversation with someone really got it clear to me and raised my level of awareness of how bad my life had got and how, how much it was impacting my relationships, how much it was impacting my health, all the goals that I had for my life. And that was just enough of a catalyst to say, right, I need to do something different about this. 
you know, like they say, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is the you know, definition of insanity. And that's what I'd ultimately been doing. I'd been trying to use, you know, use the same techniques and strategies to get this problem dealt with. So really, it was just a conversation with someone that highlighted and got me very clear. And that's, you know, the first three steps of the 12 step program, which is what initially I did when I went to rehab the second time, which is what, you know, stopped me from using ever again, is just a raising of awareness of like, how uncontrollable your life is, how uncontrollable you are to substances, how bad it's got. And that's why I'm such a key component, uh, proponent of, or, you know, proponent of uh, awareness. It's such a critical component of living an optimized life and having a really clear understanding of what your mind and body does. You know, awareness in the gym, for example, is critical when you're doing a big lift, for example. You know, awareness of what your body's doing, how your breath, where your breath is, like where your mind's at, you know, all these things, as you well know, is a core component. Well, it doesn't just mean that that's useful in the gym. It means it's useful everywhere. And I think once you get that level of awareness around the subject, you either run further away and hide even more or you deal with it. And luckily for me, I dealt with it and went and sought help and uh, went and sought an incredible man in Guildford who um, spent two weeks uh, in their rehab and, and, you know, and the rest is history. I mean, to say it was easy is, is not true. Mm. Uh, it was incredibly difficult, but a switch in my mind had been switched. I wanted to do something about it. And there's a little pin, a little brooch thing that I carry around on my, um, my jacket, which is um, a triangle and some clouds. And it's, similar, it's a pin that I got when I did the first rehab, 12 weeks long. I went in, uh, it wasn't for me, it was for my parents that, that you know, I went to do it. And I came out and the first thing I did was use. Um, and that pin reminds me that we only make change in our life when we're ready to do so, not on the terms of other people. What were the consequences that you had became viscerally connected to that really made sense? And, and that one conversation being that catalyst, what were the consequences you thought, you know what, that that's not good enough. I can't keep doing that. This is, this is a real problem family relationships like i mean how much stress and strain and, and can you put on any relationship before it just gives up and you know goes health you know I, I for a long time i've been driving for wanting to be healthy and fit and all those sorts of things i, I don't quite know where that came from but for whatever reason I, I i have been and it just got really clear that all the goals that i had for my business and my life would never manifest itself if I had carried on that way. Um, so those were the main drivers, really. Thank you for sharing this, Nick. I, and I hopefully I've not been too forthcoming or, you know, digging in too deep. I'm just fascinated by the one getting caught up in that kind of world and feeling you cannot escape it, but at the same time escaping it. And that, 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 you know getting yourself out of the clutch the clutches of a drug addiction must be incredibly difficult but speaks to your character so now as you think about how it shapes your character i mean are you are you grateful for your experience absolutely i wouldn't change a single thing really? there are things i wouldn't repeat <laughs> there are things that i've said and done to people and you know that i wouldn't repeat for obvious reasons but everything that I've gone through has allowed me to be the human being I am today. And I'm stronger and wiser because of it. I have no doubt. Absolutely. I can help people 
in a way that I wouldn't, I don't think I would have been able to help them or would have helped them differently um, if I hadn't have gone through those experiences. So mm. I think if you're unable to talk about, and you know, I, I don't mind your line of questioning. And actually, I, I, I love this line of questioning because it gets me to think about things. And people sometimes ask me questions. And I'm like, do you know what? I haven't actually ever thought of it like that. And that, uh, that's ultimately what I'm after is the truth for myself. Like what is really going on in my mind? What are the things that are hidden from my view that when I get to realize them, I can then do something about them. So, you know, I, I love that line of questioning and I appreciate you asking those sorts of questions. And I, I think it's, um, yeah, I'm incredibly grateful for the whole experience. Uh, as I said, there are things that I wouldn't repeat. <laughs> I've hurt people in ways that I wouldn't ever want to hurt other people ever again. Um, but we can't change the past. All we can do is, is use it and move forward and create a more powerful future. And it sounds like, Nick, that you've, you've acquired this uh, rare attribute that I truly admire, which is confident vulnerability. It's this idea to expose yourself once and all to the world and be confident in doing so and be willing to seek feedback or gain further awareness because knowing that information makes you a better person makes you see you through the lens of other people and sometimes you need to you need to hear it you need to see what other people see because you don't see the same thing and and when i see when i hear people that are willing to do that uh, and share it especially on the mic I, I, you know you know my hat off to you and i really appreciate your level of honesty so thank you for that nick and um if you don't mind um let's kind of use this this um where this is going in terms of the change that kind of extreme ownership that you've taken to talk a little bit about happiness because from what my my understanding is that you know you you took control you went through the pain of taking control you're now at a point of sobriety and you're living an optimized life and delivering service on in that vein um i can assume and i'd love you to correct me if i'm wrong that you know you are chasing better you are chasing more you're chasing growth whatever that looks like in your definition but there's a bit of a paradox here or, or, or conflicting positions that i often see people find themselves in is that they want to go get they want to chase they want to be ambitious but at the same time they want to be content they want to be comfortable they want to enjoy the moment and they don't want to feel like they're in the rat race just constantly like you know burning the candle from both ends and 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 they and you can hear people say like, like you know i detest or i oppose that hard charging lifestyle because you're not enjoying the moment and i've seen both ends of the spectrum and quite frankly in some points of my life i've experienced both how do we navigate chasing better whilst being happy and have you kind of worked that out for yourself so this is my version of it. It may change as life does, <laughs> but I think it's just about our motivation for the, for the want of the growth and the change. And look, do I think there's anything wrong with achieving and going after goals and having a great physique and earning loads of money? Hell no, absolutely not. As long as you're doing it for yourself. And it's like the conversation we had earlier, the motivation, if the motivation is about impressing other people then I think that's potentially where unfulfillment and unhappiness can lie. Whereas if you're waking up and you're actually doing this because you love to learn about new things and you want to be the best version of yourself and you want to have a great body and you want to tick all the boxes. Like for me, success is really about, I want to have, I want to be great in all areas. I don't want to just be great in 
have a great body or have loads of money or whatever, you know, have great relationships. I really want to strive for all of it. Right. And that's sort of, that's my personal mission. And that now is steeped in because I want it because if I want it rather than I want it because I think everyone else wants it and that will impress people. And I think that's the, the sort of the, the definition or that's the difference. If you're motivated by getting those results because it's going to impress other people, then I, I, I would ask whether that once you actually get that, those achievements, how fulfilled would you be about them? And then there's the other conversation is, well, is it about, is success achieving the goal or could success be a mindset around embracing the experience of getting to the goal? Like just turning up every day and taking action and doing what the, you know, the work required to get to that goal, could that be a form of success? So like everything, it's under, it's, it comes from interpretation, our own personal interpretation of what that is for them. But that, for me, I think is the, the core underlying version of how I see it. Yeah, I, you know what? It's something that I, I struggle with. Struggle is the wrong word. Something I constantly think about. Because, you know, my, my definition of happiness uh, is not mine, but, you know, the, the one I uh, prescribe to, subscribe to, is happiness is when reality meets expectations. When your reality meets your expectations. Now, there's two dials there, right? Change your reality, which is what I think most people go about doing, right? I've got to get the new job and I'm going to be happy. I've got to go on that holiday. I'm going to be happy. I've got to get that new car. That's going to bring happiness. When I have this much money in my bank account, I'll be happy. When, when, when? Change the reality. Go after it. Some people want but don't know how to get. Some people want and know how to get. And they work their nuts off to get it. Or the flip side is change your expectations. Think Buddhist monk. Think, uh, think you know, I'm just going to lower the expectations such that my reality is my expectations. And in the moment, everything that I want, I get. And that's a content place to be. And I go, do you know what? There's something romantic about the idea of lowering my expectations so that I can be happy in the moment. But at the same time, that goes really, really, you know, aggressively against my nature. My nature is growth. It's always been growth. And I think all of us deep down want that. But how do, we, how do we balance that? How do we get our reality to meet our expectations without either being too content and quote-unquote lazy and not getting after it, not getting after what we want? Not the, the things, but the why behind the things, like how I want to feel, the contribution I want to make, the value I want to add. How do we, how do we get there and, and still be happy in the moment and not, not delay happiness to when? When I've made a million bucks, when I have a business of... 50 people, when, whatever, whatever. Like, that's my battle. That's what I'm trying to work out because somewhere between those two extremes, that's where life is. But if you go to one end or the other, life can be quite miserable. What are your thoughts on that, Nick? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it depends what you want, right? You, you can chase after enlightenment, whatever that means, and you can become a monk. But if you want to have some of the the modern things that we you know we deem like fast cars and that sort of stuff like being a monk probably isn't the, the way to go because you're gonna have to give up all your possessions and there are certain rules about how to do that right so i think it comes down to what you really want um and the honest answer is 
I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know if anyone really truly does know. All I do know is that, like I've said already, if you're doing or wanting to achieve stuff to impress other people, then I would say that your motivations aren't truly are aligned with what you want. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult conversation. There's a great book. I don't know if you've ever read it, um, which bridges these sort of two, two components, um, by a guy called Michael Singer. He's actually got two books. I don't know if you've ever read them, but one of them is called the untethered soul, I haven't uh, which is, which is a great book. So Michael Singer is a really interesting character because he embraces a lot of the spiritual side of, um, of internal happiness, which is what you alluded to here, you know, is, is happiness an internal uh, mechanism or is it something that we attach to external objects? And I believe that it does come internally because if we attach it to an external object, then what happens when that object disappears and it goes away? I also do think that if you have no money, as an example, and you live in a world that needs money, then that's going to be a very difficult stress to make being internally happy, you know, more challenging, right? But Michael Singer's books, um, The Surrender Experiment, uh, and the untethered soul his two books would highly recommend to people he is very spiritual in respects of doing a lot of meditation and internal work and that, talking about generating happiness and all these sorts of things but went on to make a huge business had a private jet and had all the sort of the sort of the rich um western world of idea of success as well which is really fascinating so his merge of those two is uh, yeah i mean i highly recommend listening to those books that the untethered soul is um, one of the audios I listen to most nights as I go to sleep, I just put it on sleep, um, sleep mode for like 60 minutes and let nice. that play. Okay. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's lovely. It's a great book. It just reminds you, there are little clips that he says, you know, that just reminds you, um, that like, we just need to stop worrying about so much, <laughs> you know, and just like relax a bit about certain things. But you know, this conversation, I think is what maybe one of those conversations that we'll never know the answer to truly. And maybe that's just part of life, like the, the magic of life. If we had all the answers, wouldn't it be boring? You know, it reminds me of um, a game we used to play a long time ago on the computer called SimCity, which you probably know, or yeah. people listen to may know. Yeah. So you build a, for anyone that doesn't know, you basically, it's a computer game, you build a city, you become the government of a city and you have to manage the taxes and you build certain things and parks and roads and all that sort of stuff. And I remember we used to play, used to play for hours. And then one day we found out a way that you can type in a certain cheat code and you would have a million dollars a minute <laughs> or a second or something stupid. Like basically money never, it was never an issue again. Well, after about 20 minutes of building whatever you wanted, it became boring. Yeah. Right. And I think that for me is, is the, the fascination of life. Like if everything was easy and it was just all plain sailing, fuck it, it'd be super boring. And I think that's part of the challenge is embracing the dark negative aspects and taking the learnings from it and running with the good stuff as well. And I think that that sort of two sided component of life is the integral part of life. So I don't know is the honest answer. And I, I don't, you know, I think I will freely put my hand up and say, I don't have all the answers and I'm constantly learning. And there's always stuff out around the corner that blows my mind and say, Oh, actually, do you know what? That is totally different to what I thought, but this makes so much more sense. And I think that's fine. I think anyone that tells you they have all the answers is someone to definitely turn around and run away from as quick as you fucking can and never go back to. Because, you know, that, that for me isn't 
how life works. I don't think there is anyone that has all the answers. Um, and I think that's part of the, the joy of life. Do you know what? I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I was speaking to Chris Duffin on the last po- podcast that just released. And Chris Duffin, if you don't know him, he's, he's a powerlifter, entrepreneur, has led a, a very painful life, childhood, yet has achieved such great things. And, and one of the things he speaks about, really about getting after life, is he, he brings that analogy back to the gym, the idea of adaptation. And adaptation is, you know, providing you know, more stimulus than the body's used to and creating some pain that then creates growth. And it's that constantly pushing against the challenges that creates the adaptation, the stimulus that creates the adaptation. And he likened that to pretty much every other aspect of his life, whether it's fear, vulnerability, courage, getting after stuff is going to require some pain, is going to require you to do the thing you don't want to do. But in doing so, you get the growth and the growth creates the new opportunity. And I thought, okay, that makes that makes good sense. Like, I, I love going to the gym, but I don't enjoy it. Like, if I'm honest, like working out this morning was shit. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, I was doing my drop sets, 50 reps on my arms, and it was killing me. <laughs> it was not fun. I would rather be doing something else. Let's be clear. But yeah. as you say, both the the process, the the kind of slight self-righteousness I've done it, the kind of discipline, the stoicism. Mm-hmm combined mm-hmm. with the knowledge that the action creates a reaction, creates the change I'm after, it makes it worth it. But I wasn't happy in the moment. I was not happy, which then mm-hmm. leads me to the, 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 the other kind of like perhaps kind of aha moment for me is maybe happiness doesn't, the idea of happiness constantly is a fallacy. That This mm-hmm. idea that we can be con- consistently content where reality meets expectations all of the time is probably unachievable. And the idea that happiness is actually fleeting. It's these are moments. These are moments that if you can string enough together, you're happy, but don't expect to be happy when you're doing that report you don't want to do. That when you're editing the hundredth podcast in a row and you're like, ugh, which is my life. <laughs> uh, I don't <laughs> want to be doing the, the podcast edits. Hey, I need to outsource it. But in the moment, I'm like, I don't like this. I really don't like this. Yet I continue to do it. And I'm not doing it for other people. Like, as you were saying, I'm not leading my life for others. I'm leading my life for myself. I've got a very strong why, a very strong purpose and vision. I have a, a view of the mark I want to leave, leave on the world, which is about giving and adding value. Um, so I, I feel I've got a lot of it worked out. Yet there's many a time during my, my days and weeks where I'm definitely not happy. I'm not sad, but I'm not happy. I'm not like elated, jumping up and down going, I love my life. I love every minute of it because I simply don't. And maybe I'm asking the question that's too hard to answer because maybe it doesn't exist that we can be happy all the time. And it's stringing moments of happiness together and understanding that the process is is in part where you have to kind of bring that happiness and understand that bit of pain, a bit of difficulty, a bit of suffering, a bit of like, uh, it's part of it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great question. Uh, and I think I would be lying if I said I knew the answer exactly. However, I think mental toughness, um, I interviewed a, a guy called Ryan Muncy on my podcast, uh, last episode, actually, it's been released this Friday. And he, he and I were talking about discipline and, and mental toughness. And I think there's absolutely power from doing things we don't want to do, like going drop sets on 50 reps on your arms. That sounds horrific. I don't, I don't think anyone should experience that ever. I mean, you must have massive arms from it. I don't, but, but that's, that's the goal. Oh no. oh no. Okay. We won't go there then. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's, I mean, I, so I do um, a sauna, uh, have a sauna at home, like a sauna tent thing. And um, I do that and I do a cold bath for five minutes after it every morning. And um, one of the reasons there's plenty of health benefits from it. And, but one of the reasons is no one wants to get into a cold bath for five minutes in the morning. Right? No one wants to do that, you know, um, unless you're out in the sun, which we're definitely not in England. So it, that for me is like a great way of starting the day because it, it shows me that I've got mental toughness, it builds that resilience, and it means that I've already sort of felt like I've won the day in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. I, so do, I do the I same, think, by the way, Nick. It's, uh, oh, you it's do? something I will not ever stop. I, I get too yeah. much value from it. But for most people hearing, it's like, that ain't value. That's shit. Like, why, why, yeah. why, why would you want to have a cold yeah. share when you don't have to? Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um but then, you know, to speak to your thing about the gym, like I recently um, stopped going to the gym and started and I'm actually just about to go into uh, rock climbing. So I do rock climbing three to four times a week and I love it. It's challenging as hell. Um, you know, it's very demanding. Um, it hurts the feet when you put them into tight little rock shoes. And like, it, you know, it's, there's a lot to go, a lot going on there. It's very uh, physically demanding. But I love, I love rock climbing. So I think, I think there's a conversation within that piece of like when people start to do a new exercise regimen, for example, they go, okay, I'm going to go running four times a week. Like New Year's resolutions come around as an example and say, right, I'm going to go running four times a week. And then you ask them, what do you like running? It's like, no, I hate it. Well, I think maybe that's probably not a great strategy, especially when you're starting out. But if you can find something that you enjoy, like you sound like you enjoy going to gym, I enjoy going to rock climbing, you know, walls. But within that component is always going to be something challenging and difficult, right? Uh, and I think there's great power to be had from that. So I think just pushing yourself day in, day out, doing something that you really hate, I think that's probably not a great strategy for, and I know people do that all day long. I've seen them in the, I've seen them in the gyms and I'm sure you've seen them, right? I it's think not, that's a bad going strategy. to the gym. I mean, you can go do a job that you hate every day of the week. That's not yep. stoic. That's that, yeah, that, that that's just stupid. Is, yeah, stupid, right? Doing something you hate <laughs> yeah. and not doing something yeah. about it. But if you hate yeah. it, but it brings you real value, real value that you can quantify and feel and know, it's a different, it's a different kind of hate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a hate in that moment. I mean, you know, I've done drop sets, I've done lots of gym stuff in my past, so I know what that that feels like, and it's sickening at the time. And you know, doing high intensity workouts, you know, forty five minute hit class and that sort of stuff, like. You just want to die <laughs> sometimes, right? But you know that um, afterwards you're going to feel great, and in, in the moment it's you know it's just it's just how it is. So I think that's a really interesting conversation into itself, and I love that idea. It's not stoicism; it's stupidity. I think that's a great quote that I'm probably going to steal. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it's how you go about it. It's the if if it's just doing something over and over again that you hate, you're dragging yourself to the gym. And you're just jumping on that treadmill every morning and getting results, sort of, but you hate it. I don't think that's really adding value to your life. Whereas if you're going to the gym and you're doing a hard workout and you feel really accomplished from doing it and, you know, you've actually, you do enjoy the results. You do enjoy the sort of going to the gym and that process. And I think that's a different conversation, you know, entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Last question on this then is, no, is balance possible? Is there a place where you can be in the middle of that spectrum between full out and, you know, content, lazy, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, yeah. is there balance? You know, because we all, everyone talks about balance being this uh, nirvana, 
this nirvana state of life where every aspect of my life is just adequately engaged, like right the right amount of work. You know, it's it's both <laughs> fulfilling and engaging, but not too much of it. I go to the gym, I eat perfectly, you know, I get enough sleep, I get enough time with my wife, I have enough sex, I, you know, I, I see my family the right amount of times, you know, I do the spiritual stuff, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working on myself, I'm self-developing, I'm spending enough time with my kids, like, balance, right, where it doesn't sound like there's a lot of work, somehow, there's not a lot of work, yeah, everything's happening and you feel great, and you're right in that middle, is that possible or is it a fallacy? This idea that the pendulum doesn't swing and it just stays dead center and life's just great. Can you achieve stuff with the pendulum just right dead center and not moving? I think the key component to that com- that question is how do you know when you're balanced? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'll answer that. <laughs> when do you, how do you know that you've hit balance? I mean, I, I'm the wrong person to ask because but I, there's I always something. There's always something that I, I want to change, do improve. Yeah. do you know what I mean? But like, how how do you? So let, let's take a, a 24 hour day. Is balance um, segmenting that day into sort of work and rest components? And if they're 50 50 split, is that balance? I I don't think it's as straightforward as that, and I don't know if it is. If balance is attainable, like uh, you ask anyone, any of my CEO clients or anyone that you know that's been super successful, have they lived a balanced life? Probably not. They probably put way more fucking time into achieving that goal than anything else. And that probably wouldn't be considered balance. So I, I don't necessarily know if balance is the right way of looking at it. What I would look at is recovery. Because recovery for me is massively important for a number of different reasons. Uh, both mentally and physically. You could work out eight times a day, right? And if you recovered enough, your nervous system got back to um, a good stress response. And we use uh, heart rate variability as one of our key metrics for that. Then that should be fine in theory. Now, obviously working out eight times a day and getting recovery is, is not realistic. It's just a, uh, you know, an example. But I think really it's about what do you want? Are you interested in longevity? Because then balance or recovery is an important component and a a big part of that conversation. So if you're only interested in getting a goal and it doesn't matter what happens to your mind and body, as long as you get that goal and you're broken, like, you know, a lot of people you see in the gym when they get to an older age, when they've been powerlifters or uh, strongmen, they're fucked. Like, you know, they're using crutches to walk around and their, their knees are shot, their back is gone. Like that for me is not success. Mm -hmm. Yes, they would have achieved a goal. But at what cost? So, no, I don't necessarily know how you how you measure balance. And if you can't measure it, it's very difficult to quantify whether you've got there or not. But I do think longevity and recovery, if that's important, what's important to you, are probably two big parts of that conversation. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. I also think that, I don't know, at least if I reflect on my life, Nick, there's I've I've made a lot of mistakes along my life. Um, you know, at the same time, those those mistakes have been my successes. You know, my career prior to Adaptation was incredibly successful, monetarily, um, credibility, what I learned, how I developed as a person, the friends I made, you know, the confidence it created in our, in in my life with my wife for us to go about getting the things in our life that we have now. I mean, so so worth it. Yet at the same time, I was killing myself. 
Mm. At the same time, I was having to neglect the important stuff of getting out in sunshine. Simple. I never used to do it. I didn't have time. I was always fully clothed, always in a suit. Um, not getting enough sleep. Hey, well, don't need sleep. I can get four or five hours and I'm good. I'm fine. Um, food. Hey, I'd need, I, I would emotionally eat because I had to, because I was just so drained. I'm like, give me something that makes me happy in the moment. Loads of carbs, big bolus of food. And I'd done that religiously for, hour, uh, for, for, for years. And only now can I see that there was a detriment to that decision. Yet in the moment, I was successful and I got a lot for it. So your successes can be your your failures. Um, but in my life, even now, I don't I don't see balance. I do my best to try and get the the things that matter most. But if I'm honest, not every element of my life is where it needs to be, and therefore it isn't balanced. And I am pushing hard in some areas more than others. I am leaning in on work again when I said I wouldn't because it's the right time. It feels right. And therefore, you know, I'm asking you a question. It's like a rhetorical perhaps, but maybe maybe this idea of striving for balance is, again, it's a fallacy. Just like striving for eternal forever happiness is a fallacy. You can get in, into balance momentarily but staying in balance is probably not going to get what you get you what you want yeah I, mean, I think you know when you want to achieve something you've got to drive at it like no one achieved greatness in their life just doing a little bit here and there doesn't matter what part of the life it is something needs to drop um, right for you to if I, you to I prioritize so. one thing you got to drop something else at least momentarily i think so and i think um it depends on what you drop because if you drop the wife i'm sure that probably isn't a very good strategy um, <laughs> you know, if you, if you drop other things, and I think, and I, again, that comes back to the whole conversation is like, that's the challenge of life, right? Like if it was super easy and you had that cheat code for a million dollars every minute, then it would be easy. But that's the challenge. Like, how do we juggle all this stuff? How do we be optimized in our health and our fitness and have great relationships and, and do all these things and feel content and happy? Like that's the game. Like if it it's was the game easy, we've unfortunately not worked out after millennia. But I think that's beautiful, isn't it? Right? Because if we'd worked it out, it'd be fucking boring. Yeah. Like, yeah, you just get up and do this, 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 and this, press these buttons for this cheat code, <laughs> and you know, job done. It's like, okay, right. So I just go to the gym and lift 50, you know, do 50 reps of my arms, and I've got massive guns. Or, you know, whatever it is. Like, it's just like it, I think that's. I think when we start to embrace the unknown, the uncertainty, and surrender to the fact that maybe we don't need to know everything, mm. maybe we can just plod along and and do what we need to do. We're well, not plod along. That's not the right way of describing it. But you know, we maybe we can just carry on with life and just go at these things and say, right, well, this is this is my attempt at going at this, and this is what happens. Like this is our life is one big experiment after another. You know, one after another, and it's. And I think that's the beautiful in part that oftentimes we forget to embrace. The fact we don't know all the answers. Maybe we don't need to know. And let's just crack on, keep on trying at it. And, you know, and having these sorts of conversations with amazing people that we meet, you know, like yourself through podcasts and through social media. And I love having these sort of conversations, you know, and, 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 and just putting my hand up, say, you know what, I don't have all the answers. But I think what you've just said is really interesting. It's got me thinking in a different way. And I think as long as we're continuously having those conversations, um, in a non-aggressive way that, you know, doesn't just mean you're arguing and trying to put your point of view across because that gets you nowhere. 
um, then I think you know I think we're winning every day anyway. It does. It does take whether it's courage or acceptance, though, Nick. If you're if you're a questioner like me, <laughs> if you you like to get the answers and and you know you you'll Google for two hours because you need the answer. You won't stop <laughs> until you get the fucking answer. If you're yeah. that kind of person like me, it can be difficult to say. Ah, can't get the answer. Just crack on. Do you know what I mean? But there's a beauty in that because one, I think there may perhaps isn't an answer as you've said and two it's so unique and individual and you know changing from minute to one minute to the next in terms of contentment happiness fulfillment uh balance and yeah i think they're really really difficult questions uh but accepting that you probably don't know the answer but you've got some strategies that are going to get you eight percent there i think it's probably the best we can do for now and with that being said, I think that's a great conclusion to our exploration in this conversation. I really appreciate you just kind of getting at it with me. Um, but I do want to give you just a few more minutes to help people understand what it is you're doing at Optimized. It's just so there's um, there's perhaps an opportunity for people to reach out and uh, engage with your services. So yeah, what's either your framework or you know your your principles or the process? that you try and adopt in helping people when you do performance coaching through Optimized, Nick? So it really is about starting with the mind, starting with your drivers. Like how are you, what's your makeup? How are you built? Are you, are you free from the bullshit from your past? Let's start there because there's no point creating a vision for a fantastic life if you're driven by things that are just causing you problems. So we start there, then we can have a look at like what insecurities and doubts and fears that we can get rid of. And then we can start to have a look at like, what is it in life that you're doing right now that maybe knowing what you now know with this freedom, what are you actually going to be able to create from there? Uh, and then we can obviously look to put a plan in place. And it depends what sort of, uh, we've got lots of different types of packages, depends what you want to do. But, uh, you know, we can go the route of blood testing and doing advanced biometrics and um, advanced metabolic testing just to really see what's going on with the biology of the person so we can really give them the best possible advice around nutrition diet, uh, sorry, nutrition and exercise. Um, and then it's really just about figuring out what they want and just helping them to go and get it. But ultimately, when you get free from all the, the mental constraints of the past, life becomes a lot easier and it becomes a lot clearer on what things are important and what things aren't important. Um, and it becomes, you know, all the things around the lifestyle habits, whether it's exercise or diet, become pretty straightforward. Um, so there's a number of things that we're doing, uh, optimized.life. That's optimized with an S, not a Z. Optimized.life is our website. You can head over there. Um, we've got a podcast, optimized podcast as well. That's on all the normal channels. Um, so you guys, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out and, and connect with this and there or on Instagram, which my name, Nick Elvery, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes somewhere. Um, then you can reach out there, but yeah, ultimately we're for people that want to, you know, that want to really get to the bottom of what's going on for them, both physically and mentally. People that are willing to go into those places that maybe are a little bit scary. You know, the people that are willing to have the courage and the vulnerability to share with, you know, with, with me, their coach and, and be able to un unmask what's really going on. Um, and you know, ultimately it's just people like me <laughs> and you by the sounds of it, you know, it's people like us that really want to just explore every avenue. We, we're, we're obsessed with figuring out each and every individual bit and finding out what works. And I think the, the pain that I went through with regards to self-development and all the sort of 
I've done lots of services and had lots of coaches over the years and all sorts. And some of them have been miraculous and some of them have been just complete waste of time and money. And I think the most annoying component of any of that is wasting time and money on things that don't work. You know, so I like to think that at Optimize, we're really impartial and really just want to promote and use services and products that actually make a profound difference. Uh, you know, our three values are honesty, integrity, and community. And that, that for me is really important. So that's a, a quick overview of what we do, um, who we're for, and, and where you can find us. And when it, when it comes to blood tests, metabolic testing, HRV, all mm. that kind of stuff, um, mm-hmm. is there an aspect of, quote-unquote, biohacking? Um, is there a, an idea of, hey, I want to optimize my physicality and biology, not just eat the right foods because universally I should be eating these kind of foods, but, hey, if I do these things... I can get increased performance, increased longevity for me, my body. Are they are they areas that you explore with people? Do people come to you asking for those kind of biohacking type, quote unquote, cheat codes? Yeah. Um, so, the more we learn, the more we realise that we don't have a clue what's what's really going on. And what I mean by that is, there are so many misconceptions when it comes to diet for example like the advanced metabolic testing is really interesting so it's vo2 max test uh we use a portable phenomy unit which is really interesting and it shows that actually virtually every human well all human beings burn fat at rest so the common misconception around oh you have to be in a ketogenic diet to burn fat is just absolutely nonsense and totally incorrect Mm -hmm. so we use these tools to really get an accurate picture because like you, I want to know the truth. I want to know the, what's really going on with the biology. So yeah, we get we get people that want to to look at that. And I've been involved in the biohacking world for a long time. And you know, there's a lot of well-intentioned people in there. Uh, but there's also a lot of crap. Like with there's a lot of money being spent for yeah. minimal value. Like curiosity right. being fulfilled, but change right. negligible. Right. And I've you know, like you, I'm sure, I've spent lots of money and time over the years on technology supplements and courses and stuff that ultimately haven't given really very much big bang, you know, bang for the buck. And they're really about marketing, selling an idea rather than selling a, a really transformational solution. And that's ultimately what I feel like we're doing. And, you know, there's new stuff coming out all the time. And we are trying to be at the forefront of that each time and realizing, actually, do you know what, if something else comes out, either a bit of research or a bit of technology or supplementation that is actually proven that the way that we've been doing things is incorrect or there's a better approach, we embrace that. And I think that's where the difficulty comes within this type of market is when you get stuck into a corner of saying, right, we sell these supplements or we we uh, believe this, then you can get caught in this corner of not being able to back out because it means you have to lose face and potentially change your direction. Like that for us is super critical. I don't want to be the people that get caught selling a product and solution and service over and over again because they're caught in that trap and they're not actually getting to the truth of what really makes a difference. Love that. Love that. And it sounds like you're you're the guide to your customer, the customer being the hero, right? You're trying to direct them through the noise and a lot of good noise, but a lot of you know expensive noise too. Uh, mm. Things that they could do and explore, be curious on, but you know, reality what are things that matter most? And as you've said a number of times in this conversation, the mental game is where it's mostly at. Um, yep. Nutrition isn't too complicated, really. <laughs> and exercise is pretty straightforward. But how do we how do we just bring this all together for you um, without this idea of spending tens of thousands of dollars or pounds on testing that 
fulfills your curiosity but doesn't move the needle so i love that i love that nick cool thank you so much for your time mate. it's been a pleasure um i've learned a ton it's got me thinking about a couple of things i really appreciate you sharing your very personal story nick um i will link to everything you've just mentioned uh your website your podcast etc um is there any other um areas on the internet or or resources that i should be calling out or does that really much cover it no i think i think we're pretty much there uh anything with the word optimized on the beginning of it is usually ours as long as it's got an s rather than a z um you're good to go (laughs) cool all right well listen enjoy the rest of your day mate have a fantastic few weeks and let's let's keep in touch great stuff thanks for having me on i really appreciate it take care man If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.